Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It is the Fan Midday Show. It's Greg Rakestraw hanging out with Jimmy Cook and hanging out with you on the telephone lines at 317-239-1070. He is the director of the 100 Days to Indy series that is about to make its debut. He is Pat Diamond with Vice. You can catch it on both Vice as well as the CW, which means Wish TV here in Indianapolis. Pat, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you guys for having me. Really excited. Of course. So obviously this is about to make its television debut next week. How long, though, has this project how long has the work been going for this for you uh, in earnest, if you will? Uh, since I'd say December, I came into Indy, met a lot of the, uh, the drivers and the teams and um, obviously everyone that works at IMS and everyone's been really great. So I'd say, yeah, I think uh, first or first week of December, we kind of came in, laid it, laid out all the groundwork, met everyone, and yeah, got to work basically from there. What do you want people to know about this show before they view it for the first time next Thursday? I think it's a show for obviously the diehard fan, but then I think it's a show also for you know, the maybe the adjacent fan or they know someone that's a fan, they'll really like it. And then someone that is just kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a sports fan in general. Um, you know, it kind of gives you a lot of the behind the scenes access to the teams and to the drivers and their, and their inner circles. And then obviously it's got all the, you know, the kind of heart pounding action um, from all the races. So it's got a little bit of everything, uh, a little bit for, for everyone. Again, Pat Diamond, director of 100 Days to Indy, joining us here. Greg Rakestraw with you, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, how much you know about IndyCar before beginning this project? Very limited, um, <laughs> which sometimes I would argue is helpful in yes. some of these. You know, I, I work in this space a lot, and so um, sometimes it's helpful to to not be too ingrained in in who the athletes are and who and what the sport is. You kind of come in with a little bit of a clean slate, with no kind of preconceived notions about you know maybe storylines or, or certain drivers. So you come, you know, my team and I. Um, we all been doing this for a long time for a variety of sports. And so, you know, we kind of come in, you know, eyes wide open. And it's been a really kind of an amazing sport to to kind of sink our teeth into and get an idea of, you know, you know, what makes these guys tick. How, there's so much technology and so much hard work behind the scenes that goes into it that, that you know, obviously the diehard fan knows, but yeah, the casual viewer doesn't know. And so that's been really interesting for us is just to kind of, get a peek behind the curtain not really knowing anything about the sport beforehand well frankly as, as a storyteller if something piques your curiosity then you have that ability to expound on that and, and and show people why this is unique why this is different and so and so it's 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 the right sort of idea to have going into a project like that so there, there's things you didn't know that you didn't know when this started what was kind of one of those first like light bulb moments aha moments or something where you go i i I never thought of that but then it it, it seems simple once somebody said or explained it to you what what was one of those first moments like for you in this process 
Well, I think, first of all, I, I, you know, first day I was out there, Will Power gave me a ride around the IMS uh, track in one of the pace cars. That was an immediate, um, if anyone's doubting whether this is, you know, a, uh, a hard sport or, uh, you, know, you know, it is a very, very serious uh, sport. Like I was, you know, I was obviously freaking out when I was sitting behind, you know, I was sitting in the past. <laughs> seat and I and will you know casually was kind of talking to me while we were going 175 miles an hour <laughs> six inches from the wall so I can assure anyone out there that it is a very uh, real uh, you know technical and a very skilled sport um, and so not that anyone was, was doubting that but I think um, yeah one of those moments to me was you know, the, you know, these drivers are such, you know, they're obviously the top, you know, X in the, in the world. And, and it's, and it's still great to just kind of see them open up to, to our team and to our cameras and kind of let the world in to kind of see, you know, behind the scenes with them, even though, you know, they're, they're obviously rock stars and they're, you know, they're huge athletes, but um, it's great to see them kind of, in, you know, off the track and kind of see they're all really, Everyone that I've met is is gracious, humble, hardworking. You know, driven. You know, very. You know, just just uber professional. And so that that to me is a really um, is a great environment to work in. Again, Pat Diamond, Vice Media, joining us. Obviously, Hundred Days to Indy starts next week. CW Vice will have it as well. Uh, and again, I frequent both of those channels here locally in, in terms of both Wish TV as, as well as Vice. It's ninety three five and and, and one zero seven five. The fan. It's easy for someone at the beginning of this can kind of look and say, okay, here's the defending 500 champ. I'm going to talk to him. Here's the defending IndyCar Series champ. I'm going to talk to him. Here's the powerhouse teams. But as you then get to know these individuals, obviously kind of how guys work with you and, 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 and the interviews you have with them, you kind of say, okay, that's somebody whose story I want to showcase more. So who was somebody that kind of their personality, what they had to say, kind of reached through the camera and grabbed you is there a driver that that description immediately comes to mind in, in your mind well i think listen you know you have the you know the top driver you know the top athletes in every sport and those are kind of the obvious you know stories to kind of tell um and then obviously you know not that these guys aren't all great drivers and you know the the margins of winning are you know hundreds of seconds but you know then you know some of the guys maybe that aren't doing as well this year um or haven't done as well in years past and then their stories i, I would argue are kind of just as interesting and just as important um you know for example we we interviewed um Augustine Canapino last week, who's got a really amazing backstory. Obviously, um, you know, Stefan Wilson, who's got a really amazing backstory. Um, and I think a crowd favorite is probably like a Connor Daly, just because of, you know, he's kind of bombastic and, you know, um, you know, his backstory at the IMS. So I think it's those kind of stories that um, that we're also going to tell that are, are – have caught my eye um, in just being really kind of fun fan, you know, fun for a, a fan, obviously, that doesn't know the diehard, you know, as much as the diehard, um, you know, the average viewer. And then, obviously, you have, like, the Tony Kanans of the world, uh, who's uh, who's obviously retiring. That's a story that we're going to tell. Um, and then the legendary, you know, the legendary families of, of the Andrettis, the Penskis, 
um, you know, Chip Ganassi. So we're kind of covering the gamut from the obvious kind of winners, top, uh, you know, top teams historically, and then kind of emerging, you know, emerging stories, Catherine Legg, who's going to race in the 500. So, you know, kind of and new and kind of emerging stories as well as the uh you know obviously as the historical all right a couple of quick things and we'll let you go and obviously you know i it, we, so much of this has been compared to drive to survive in formula one this maybe be more of a comparison to hard knocks which is obviously just here for an in-season edition uh, at, at the tail end of the 2021 colt season um how much of this is stuff I don't want to say it's already in the can, but kind of feature driven and say, hey, this person's going to be in episode one. This is an episode two. But knowing that it's a very active month locally as this show is going to continue to progress, how much of Grand Prix weekend and qualifications are you trying to work into episodes as we get closer to race day? Yeah, so agree totally. It's way more the 24 um, 7 uh, hard knocks. Uh, format where basically we're shooting and it's going into edit, you know, the day, the, the, the you know, the day, right. two day, three days after it's going right into that episode. So we kind of let, we have to, you know, we had some pre-production about obviously before the race started about who and how things might work out, but we are really letting, we're letting some of the results um, guide us now, just as things kind of shake out about, you know, who's maybe doing well, who's middle of the pack, who may be struggling. And then, um, you know, we kind of let that be our North Star a little bit for the middle and latter episodes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, basically everything you're seeing is we are filming that week at the races. And then, obviously, all of April and, and then May, whatever we're filming is, is essentially turning around for um, the latter episodes, episode four, five, and six um, in the series. All right, before we let you go, first one debuts next Thursday. What do you want our listeners to know about episode number one? Uh, episode one is it's phenomenal. It's, um, you know, it's a look at the, like I said earlier, it's kind of a look at the, at, the, at the bigger, more historical teams right off the bat just to kind of set the stage uh, for the season and, and give the viewer an idea of, of who we're following and how we're doing it. Um, but uh, I think as the as the – Diehard fans know the first race of the season was was pretty wild, uh, so you'll you'll definitely get the sense of that in the episode, and then you'll also get a sense of uh, a really good look at some of the drivers off the track. I think so. It gives, um, like I said earlier, it gives it gives everyone a, a taste of everything: the hard pounding action, and then also kind of the peek behind the curtain of of these uh, rock star drivers. Pat, I'm sure I, our paths will cross at some point in time during the month of May at 16th in Georgetown. Congratulations uh, on uh, this journey getting ready to really uh, begin in terms of what the, the public has seen from the finished product. Oh, you put in hundreds, if not thousands of hours of work into it already. And thanks for the time and the conversation today. I greatly appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, guys. Can't wait for everyone to see the show. You got it again. Pat Diamond uh, from Vice Media. Again, CW next Thursday night. Vice as well to watch 100 Days to Indy. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, Jimmy, you did not get the memo. This is supposed to be Mark Morrison, Return of the Mac. That is supposed to be what plays. Michael Grady, onto the program. 
I would assume your musical tastes on that song have not changed since you left Indianapolis, my friend. Not one bit. Not one bit, brother. <laughs> it is good to have you back on the show, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Good to hear your voice. Good to chat with you a bit, Greg. All right, so um, first, obviously you've been on the NBA grind now for a few years, whether it's Pacers PA, whether it's Nets pre-half and post, but to be the voice of a team, it's obviously a dream. What's the experience been like so far? Uh, from a storytelling standpoint, it's been it's been terrific. Um, you know, the last thing you want is boring, and uh, this Timberwolves squad with – the Gobert situation, uh, Towns injury, Anthony Edwards emerging, you know, as just a young 21-year-old as an all-star, uh, right down to game number 82 with Gobert punching Kyle Anderson in the chest and McDaniels punching a wall and break, breaking his hand. Um, it's just been drama-filled, and again, from a storytelling standpoint, it's been um, it's been fun. It's just, it's what I've you know, wanted to do from, you know, junior year of high school at Warren Central. And so to have this opportunity, man, it's, uh, it feel really blessed. And, and in judging by Facebook photos, it looks like you found a new best friend in Jim Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> well, your partner better be your best friend. You know, you, you're working together for 82 games. You're flying on the plane together. You're having dinner. You're traveling, all this stuff. And um, uh, that that relationship was is an important one when you talk about play-by-play and color and um, the way that he uh, and his family welcomed me and mine um, coming to Minnesota after he had worked with his previous partner for 10 years. He's been with the organization for 25 years. Just a terrific guy, terrific guy. So, um, so no, that, that, that friendship is uh, genuine. That's my guy, and uh, we've, been, we've been having fun all season. You talk about the family. Obviously, that required a move from Brooklyn to the Twin Cities. How are they liking uh, life up in the north? Well, my stepson is a, is a senior in high school. He's wrapping up his senior year, so they remained in the New York area okay. while he wrapped up his senior year. Didn't want to displace him. Of course, so doing the they've been doing the flying back and forth thing all season. Meeting me in Minneapolis sometimes, meeting me in other cities other times. Um, he had a spring break last week, so he was able to be able to go to the playing games, and they'll be back this weekend for games three and four in Minneapolis. So, uh, so it's been um, a lot of um, frequent flyer miles taking advantage of that during the during the season but it's been it's been great they must love you because if somebody says spring break and you say minnesota and they say yes i think they like you mg yeah <laughs> well they got lucky because it was in the 70s all week <laughs> um and prior to that we had a blizzard so uh so he absolutely uh lucked out uh weather wise and um but no it was fun it was fun baseball in full swing, so we caught a Twins game. Minnesota Wild getting getting ready for the playoffs. Caught one of their games. It was a it was a good week. And then of course the Timberwolves won that playing game and, and the last game of the regular season um, that he was able to go to. So it's been uh, it's been adventurous uh, to say the least. And um, I'm 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 excited about riding this playoff wave, whether it lasts three more games, five more games, who knows? And then uh, looking forward to getting into hibernation a little bit after the season. All right, not to go all chance the rapper on you, but when somebody said let's do that hockey, Michael just said yes and went and checked out a wild yeah. game. Did want to make sure that that, 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 that did not fly by me when you said that, my friend. Yeah, that's right. That was the, that was my first wild game, and I think it was the last regular season game. I, I did catch the ending of the game last night, beating Dallas in double overtime. I'm not a hockey aficionado or anything like that, but I love great sports atmospheres. And um, uh, they get down. They get down with Minnesota. That's a that's a, a thing. In the same way that 
Well, we have basketball right. day, and uh, you know they have hockey day. Um, we have pickup basketball. Um, they have pickup hockey. Mm-hmm. Just uh, just a way of life, <laughs> a way of life out there. And uh, so yeah, I'm getting I'm getting fully indoctrinated into everything. We're gonna have this conversation a year from now. Mike's gonna talk about his favorite ice fishing spot. Michael Grady joining us here on, on the Fan <laughs> Midday Show. Done that. <laughs> I told you, ninety three five and, and one zero seven five. The fan. And in case you are missing home. Here at the midway point of the season, here comes Mike Conley Jr. onto the Timberwolves roster. How much do you guys kind of talk about Indianapolis when you have the opportunity? Well, you know, the crazy thing, um, I covered him at Lawrence North right. um, uh, when he was with Greg Oden and winning all those state championships. But I was just some young, you know, kid figuring stuff out and just enjoying watching great basketball and never had the opportunity to meet him. And then his time, you know, with the with the Grizzlies and all of his different stops, I hadn't had an opportunity to stop him and chat with him and say, hey, I covered you in high school uh, until he joined the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that, that so that was pretty, pretty wild that I had been following his career and have watched him closely since he was 17, 18 years old. And here he is, 35 years old. I'm knocking on the door of 40. And we're having a face-to-face conversation for the first time. So, um, so it's it was it was pretty wild. Um, he is he's one of the great guys uh, in the NBA. One of the yeah. great guys, period. But um, what he has brought to Minnesota a, a, as a calming presence, as you can't have enough adults in the room. Um, it, it's he he's been a godsend for the coaching staff and for his teammates. And in a short amount of time. Um, He's he's added quite a bit of even though there's still chaos. Don't get me wrong, um, but he's 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 just added a, a like I said before a calming presence to this group and and uh, we did have an opportunity to conversate and, and um, reflect on the times at Lawrence North and just how great that era was for Indiana high school basketball with you know Eric Gordon and Jeff Teague and Josh McRoberts and I know I'm going to leave off names but um, it was just a great time with tremendous basketball and um, and he definitely wears that with a like a badge of honor. All right, before we get to, you know, game one and playoff matchup, et, et, et cetera, with you, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work in some breaking news. It's not all that breaking. It's what he should be doing. But because of whom you watch play together on a regular basis, I think you're uniquely qualified to ask about this. So Zach Eady, just a few minutes ago, said he is putting his name into the NBA draft but is not going to sign with an agent. He'll retain his college eligibility. And so there is a big debate as to, obviously, is his next step the NBA? Is he back at Purdue for one more season as the defending National Player of the Year? As a guy that watches Freddie two games, kind of a double post or two of the best bigs in the game in terms of Towns and Gobert, I know you don't watch either the way you would have in your old job a couple of stops ago. But how do you see his game translating to the NBA as a guy that sees two of the better posts in the league on a nightly basis? You know, I, I think that there's there's certainly a place for him. I think if he wants an opportunity to get that bad taste out of his mouth, obviously, from the the shocker in the NCAA tournament, you know, I'd be all for him going back. And the game has changed from an NIL standpoint, so you can still you can still make some make some loot, um, try to have some success. Um, you know, one more time at Purdue, and I, I'd be all for it. But, you know, at the next level, I think I think there's absolutely a place for him. I know that there's, you know, we talk about the game being, you know, having stretch bigs and different things like that. But if you're a, a big man that can um, affect shots, 
um, uh, can have the ability to hold your own when defending multiple positions and can knock down a, a high percentage of your looks from point blank range, which seems like a no brainer when you're a seven footer, but I think folks would be surprised how many big men uh-huh. don't shoot a great percentage around the rim. Um, then there's a place for you. Uh, you don't have to be a stretch five to be an automatic guy in the NBA these days, even though we see a lot of small ball lineups. Uh, Walker Kessler is going to be in the conversation for rookie of the year. He may finish third in voting, but he had a great year for the Utah Jazz, and I don't know that he took very many shots outside the paint. Um, he was affecting shots, blocking a lot of shots, and um, uh, so I think I think he's going the right route in terms of uh, not hiring an agent, see how he does at workouts, see how he matches up with other guys, and then make a decision on whether or not if he waits and holds out and comes out next year, you know, is he going to improve his stock by doing so as opposed to doing it now when he's coming off, you know, being the national player of the year. Uh, And then you also have to look at how deep the draft is, too. You have to take that into consideration as well. But just to answer your question on talent alone, there's definitely a place for him in the league. Not that his voice needs an introduction on this radio station. I mean, to do the professional radio thing, that's Michael Grady that is joining me, Greg Rakestraw, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So 109.80 in game number one. Because you're the eighth seed, because your goal is to get one of two, is it pretty easy just to kind of push that one aside and, and, and focus on game number two for this team? Yeah, I mean, they could have lost by 60 points. And, you know, the adults in the room, as I mentioned with Mike Conley and Kyle Anderson before, they'll tell you it's still just one game. So you can't – the key is not overreacting. Um, and you take into consideration what happened in game one. You, you, you watch film. And you come into game two with a completely different attitude. And, uh, you know, the Nuggets – I've had this conversation multiple times over the last few days, especially here in Denver – from a national perspective, from a casual basketball fan perspective, Denver is one of the least talked about <laughs> Western Conference contenders. And if you look at the eight playoff teams, Minnesota is probably the only squad that's talked about less frequently than Denver. That alone is bulletin board material. People talk about the Lakers. They talk about Golden State. Sacramento's been a darling this season. Phoenix has Kevin Durant. The Clippers have Kawhi Leonard. And there is still an L.A. squad. And nobody talks about the Nuggets. (laughs) Again, that's bulletin board material. That is something where you want to make a statement. They haven't played a meaningful basketball game in about three weeks. They had the past week off while the planned games were taking place. Meanwhile, the Timberwolves had a high-intense matchup with the Lakers on Tuesday. Got a big victory over Oklahoma City on Friday. Flew out to mile high in the altitude on Saturday. And then played a game Sunday evening where they were pounded by a Denver team that clearly is on a mission and wanted to send a statement, not just to the Timberwolves, but to the rest of the NBA. Now, if you're the Timberwolves, you lick your wounds, you have two days off, and then you show up on Wednesday with a completely different Attitude. They couldn't hit shots. They really struggled from the floor. They couldn't get back in transition. They looked gassed in that ball game. So you have a couple of days, again, to get acclimated, watch film, again, come in with a completely different attitude, play with force, match Denver's physicality. The game still may end in a loss. But we're not going to see a 29-point beatdown again, I don't believe. Because there was this remarkable pack of teams from like 4 through 12 in the Western Conference, 
is is just making the playoffs is that still a good year for the Timberwolves I, I know in looking yeah. at like the salary cap numbers frankly likely as this group is constructed unless there's a major move is what they're going to look like next year there's rarely pressure on an eight versus a one what's the outlook for this team if if something surprising doesn't happen if this is the end of the road for the T-Wolves you just, you just, you just had to make the playoffs. I mean, there was a, there was a collective exhale when they made the postseason. Um, Carl Anthony Towns was out of the lineup for 52 of 32 games because of that calf injury. So you definitely were shorthanded there. Um, and then you watch, we all watched Anthony Edwards take his game to an entirely different level and help carry the team and put them right there in contention for a play-in spot eventually le- leading to the playoffs. So when I see what the Timberwolves did in fighting, even though there were disappointing losses down the stretch and, and over the course of the season, when I see the fact that they punched their ticket to the postseason, meanwhile the Dallas Mavericks with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving did not make the playoffs – that alone is a reason to exhale. Um, that said, the big question mark this offseason for the Timberwolves, you can't take the Gobert trade back, but the big question mark is, did you get enough of a sample size with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns to make a firm decision that you want to keep this thing going? Or do you make a move and deal someone like Towns, for example, to try to get some assets back that you may have given up in the, in the Gobert deal? Um, that's what a lot of people are talking about. We'll see what happens. Um, I think the Towns has an opportunity. He didn't play well in game one. He has played well down the stretch of the season. He has an opportunity to make a statement and send a message uh, to everyone that, that this can work. Um, he certainly wants to be here. He loves Minnesota, and I think that's a huge, <laughs> a huge bonus, a huge plus to have a superstar who wants to be in that market, who wants to continue to be there and do special things there. Um, but they're in a, a tough position when, and, and just about how you get better, you know, without the draft picks, without so many assets. Um, it'll be ve- a very interesting offseason uh, for Minnesota. A couple quick things before we let you go. Uh, obviously, you're busy. You're traveling. You've got a family. How close to tabs are you keeping on the Pacers and Colts and all things Indianapolis sports these days? Yeah, you know, um, uh, both. I, I, I made my way out to um, U.S. Bank uh, to watch Colts and Vikings, and uh, that was devastating. I was going to say, I hope and, you left at uh, halftime. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to continue to see the beatdown <laughs> continue, and I saw something different. Uh-huh. Um, so, no, I definitely keep tabs, and it was great to get down and down on the field and see everybody. And, um, and yeah, definitely still watching the Colts and closely monitoring what they're doing with the quarterback situation. Uh, the Pacers, it was just a joy to watch um, them bring the fun back. Um, I, 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 I can't speak for everyone, but just from a distance, it just didn't look like it had been much fun the past few years and um this season it just seemed like the fun was back uh the competitive energy was back you know you you know you don't make the postseason but um i just feel like they captured the imagination of the fan base again got the fan base excited in terms of the potential and what we could see you know in the future um and so that was really that was really great to see um i was happy to see the uh, even though he's been a lightning rod conversation topic, but, you know, Miles Turner find a comfort zone and get locked in. Uh, Halliburton and what he's been able to do with the franchise and the love that he's been getting and being an all-star. And um, I was all over that, you know, bleep Wally Zerbiak stuff when that whole thing was going <laughs> down. Like, I, 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 I just, I love it. And um, 
I'm excited to see uh, what they continue to do in the future in the future to build a playoff squad. All right, if I asked you at all you missed about Indianapolis, we'd be here for a long time because you love your new gig, love your new hometown, but I know this is always home and the roots will always be solid for you here yeah. in Indianapolis. If I could send you like one meal, like a taste of Indianapolis up to the Twin Cities, what am I sending your way? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Oh, man. Um you know, shrimp cocktail for sure um, uh, from St. Elmo's. Oh, I, I always stop into Mesh on Mass. Um, and, oh, my goodness. I, I, I think it's the Cunningham Group. I love all of their spots. I, I, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. Now, you tough, you I, realize I, we, start the, with the shrimp, we start with the shrimp cocktail and we just go from there. I was going to say, you realize now that you're in a spot where you could probably, because I'm sure you have a bunch of these just lying around, you know, framed eight by tens of yourself and signed them. But now you have reached that wall of fame status at St. Elmo's, where if you send one of those to Bryn Jones, A, he puts it up, and he probably gives you the Jim Nance treatment and sends you some shrimp cocktail on dry ice, Augusta style, the way Jim Nance would like it. I think you've hit that level there, MG. I, don't, I, 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 I won't believe it until I see it. Um, but that would be that would be a big time moment for your boy. That would be. <laughs> All right, I'm firing off the email to Bryn as we speak. Um, my friend, I'm so happy for you. Thanks for making time for this show for a second day in a row for a second different host. Enjoy some downtime in Denver, and we'll catch up off the air real soon, man. So happy for you, buddy. Right. Anytime, my brother. Anytime. Appreciate you, Ray. You got it, Michael Grady. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. As referenced, this gentleman and I broke bread together on Sunday afternoon. Without him sitting at the same table because he is such a frequent visitor of the Indiana Sports Riders and Sportscasters Association banquet each and every year. In fact, I can set my watch so I get a text about three days out. Hey, what time should I be there on Sunday? 2 o'clock, Chappie. Just like our conversation today on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. How are you, my friend? Good. You see, I don't know how to do that thing on my phone where I can set dates and all that. So I just I've got I'm sitting here at my desk. I've got, I've got post-it notes. I've got, I've got meetings at certain times because I'm just a Neanderthal. No, it's worked for you for all this as many years. There don't don't start you know changing now. Uh, obviously, you were a fan of everybody involved, but you have you have ties to a couple of them. I thought our buddy Ambrose's speech was fantastic on Sunday. He's great. He, you know, it's just an example of sometimes good things do happen to good people. Yep. He's been put through the ringer uh, at times, and he's just done his work, he, and he's done good work. He's done whatever people have asked at a high level. So good for him. We go back you know, to the star, and I had forgotten, and he mentioned that he, me and him and Phil Richards all took buyouts at the same time. God, what was that, 14, 2014, whatever yeah. it was? And we just had enough. So yeah, it's it's really pretty cool, uh, and we st- and he's still working. I'm still working. We get together. We do a tribe game when Robin Miller used to have us get together. We're getting together later this week to sort of remember David Benner. Yeah. The, co- the cool thing about getting together like that is you see guys that you've worked with and 
not not just locally, but you know, Jim Russell was there and, and coming up and I was at Anderson. I'm trying to think where he was. Was he in Greenfield or was he at Newcastle? Newcastle maybe. So we just always run into people, and Rick Bozich. Yep. People locally may not know Rick, but he's one of the nation's better columnists. Worked a long time at Louisville, and he got his start with under me. Yep. I was sports editor at the Anderson Bulletin, and he came and worked with me for like 18 months, and then he went to much, much bigger and better things. Saw Ben Smith there from Fort Wayne, and – it's just pretty cool to see these guys, you know, running into you all the time. It's just, it's really a good organization, and you know, it just it, we, we've we've had some really good, really very good media folks come through. Don Fisher with a lifetime achievement thing. I mean, holy crap, he's been IU for is it fifty years? Fifty. I, I I've been doing this totally for fifty years, starting like in July of seventy four when I. Left the or I graduated Ball State and got a job at Anderson. Then they went on strike, and I was a janitor at <laughs> Doko Remy for the summer. But it's it's really it, 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 in a way it's cool to be around guys, and it shows you how long you've been doing this. I mean, Fish has been doing this forever. But it was a quality room, and I enjoy, always enjoy it. Well, to put it in perspective, folks, there was a life before Mike was associated with the Indianapolis Colts. He was at the 1976 National Championship game where Indiana completed their perfect season. Chappie was covering the game uh, for the paper in Anderson. I learned that in the documentary that, that I put together now seven years ago. And since we're talking round numbers, it hit me like literally as I say this out loud, um, this is your 40th year that is commencing covering the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, and another round number, 25. It was 25 years ago today that the Colts drafted Peyton Manning. Wow. So, But, no, it was it's 40 years. I mean, yeah. Again, I was still in my last days and weeks at Anderson in 70, 84, and the Colts moved here, and they needed, you know, somebody to kind of be in Anderson because that was training camp, so I had to help John Banton. Been doing it ever since and seen some really, really good and some really, really bad and a lot of stuff in between. So, but 40 years, yeah, it's pretty, uh, you know, I, I always say things always come up that tell you how old you are. I, I just, I, I keep, I was in Anderson during the, the glory years of basketball. I mean, it was sure, yeah. fantastic. And I, I was there when James Blackman scored like 52 against Troy Lewis and the tournament regional, I think it was. Somebody, I don't know if it was state finals, maybe the state finals. And, and then his, his son broke his record at IU or, or Marion before going on to IU. So, in all the Lewises, I mean, I covered their dad and Sean Lewis. I, I covered all these guys. But uh, yeah, when you stick around long enough, you, you see a lot, go through a lot, deal with a lot. You're just kind of glad you get out of the bed in the morning. Well, well, can you remember in your years of covering this team a draft where the Colts have been drafting so high where we're still not exactly sure whom they are going to be taking? We kind of have an idea on, on biggest need. That part we've got figured out. But even at four, there's a lot that has to happen in front of them before we kind of have a beat as to what they are going to do. Does this remind you of a, of a previous draft, or is this one pretty much unique? This is kind of unique. There might have been one back with the John Hand days uh, when there were there were thoughts that they were going to get Jim Everett or what, and I, whatever year that was. 
late eighties. Yep. But no, I mean in in ninety they get the number one pick and they take Jeff George. Everyone knew they would. In ninety eight with Manning and number one, and then Luck in in, in twelve. So no, this one you, when you when you're at four, you just, you don't control things. Um, you know, Carolina took care of that moving up there. So you this is one where you've got to have, you know, really good intel that you trust on three or four guys. Uh, that's why people were wondering why the Colts went to all these workouts with Stroud and Young and Levis and Richardson and Hooker. Well, th- this is why, because you don't know. You just don't know. What, 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 I tell you, what, one thing I, I'm just not buying, and, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, so, so now it's that Carolina's going to take Bryce Young and Houston doesn't like the other guys, so they're going to take Willie Anderson and, and the Colts will have a chance to get the, the second-best quarterback. I don't believe for a second Houston doesn't take a quarterback. I just – maybe they don't, but I don't – they got Davis Mills. Right. You know, I'd rather have Gardner Minshew. So, so I don't see how they, they do that. But this is the time, the last month before the draft, so much BS gets out there and smoke and misinformation. Now, i, I tell you, a team could come out and tell you exactly what they're going to do, and you wouldn't believe them. Uh, so, you know, and, and we're going to talk to Chris Ballard on, on Friday and we're going to get zilch. We're going to get, it'll be great to talk to him. And he's always, you know, fun to go back and forth with, but he's not going to give us any indication and he shouldn't, but no, you're right. This is one of those rare cases when you're top four and you just, you know, do you stay at four? Do you move to three? It'll cost you a, a couple of really golden picks to move up to three, one spot. Uh, but if you don't move up to one spot, somebody probably will. Right. So that, that's why if you're not moving up, you better be really, really comfortable with a couple guys because if you don't move up, one of them's probably going to be gone. But it's really intriguing. And I, it's funny, I talked to Bill Pullian today, just posted something about the 25th year and all that. And, and this, this draft isn't when you rate urgency and importance – this is that this is not as important as '98. Sure, because if they don't hit Peyton Manning, I'm not so sure there's a Colts team still here. Right. I, I, re- I I really question that. But this is really critical to where this team goes in the next six to eight years, as far as being competitive. And so, so there is similarities. You know, one thing he pointed out is, you know, this team isn't as bereft of talent as a lot of people think. But it needs a quarterback. I mean, that's just it's the no-brainer thing. You've got to find a quarterback, and that guy can make all the difference. You know, I'm not saying Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck level. No one's even remotely saying any of these guys are that level of quarterback. But you you can win consistently as long as you get a quarterback at a who's at a certain level. And when it comes time to make plays, he makes plays. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Do you see any scenario where the Colts don't take a quarterback at four? Not really. I, I just, I mean, you, you, you kind of toss that around and say, well, okay, they don't take one at four, then they're going to take... Hendon Hooker later on. 
I, and, I, and I could buy into that, but how do you ensure you're going to get Hendon Hooker later on? How high do you have to move up back into the first round? I, I, it's just the, the need is so dire at quarterback, and virtually everybody agrees that three or four of these guys might be good enough, and that, that's all you can do with the draft. They might be good enough. There, there are no – each one of these guys has flaws. You know, Bryce Young is not going to get any taller or or much heavier. So I I, I just I think it would be a mistake. I think this is a case where where the importance of the situation requires they take a swing, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, there's somebody else calling personnel moves in three or four years. So I I just think at some point this this is sort of the best chance they've had as far as position in the draft and and several prospects to take a swing. You know, the, the owner wants a young guy to develop, and this draft gives you the chance to do that. If it's quarterback in round one, it's what position in round number two? The, the needs kind of stick out pretty quickly, wide receiver or cornerback. Maybe you could see a, a, a get even more pass rush uh, development. But if it's quarterback at round one, who is it at round number two in terms of position? Probably, in my mind, receiver. I would agree. From everything you read, it's not a a deep receiver class, and it's a very deep corner class. And I tell you, look, look at that roster, and the most dire position is corner. They, they, of all the corners, I think there are six or seven under contract. One guy was drafted. You know, Isaiah Rogers in like round six. The rest of them were undrafted free agents. So that that's the most dire position. But if you're gonna, you know, go with a young quarterback, doggone give him give him guys. Give him you know, if I'm not mistaken, when they took Manning, didn't they take Jerome Payton? Correct. That year? And E. G. So, Green, both of them took e. both e. of them, yep. Yeah. And was that Steve McKinney's year, too, the offensive lineman? I'm getting my years mixed up. I believe so. Fourth round that year was McKinney from they, Texas they created A&M. Up, they created it for, like, the first pick in the fourth round or whatever. So, you know, you give it, you, you know and, I, and I hate to say that I would let the defense lag a little bit, but you've got to ensure the offense is, is workable. You know, and I'd find an offensive lineman – mid-rounds as well, interior, you need a tackle. You need a tackle to push these guys, which they didn't do last year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think receiver and then corner, but I could see corner before that, and then, you know, you, you add, add a receiver in, th- in, in the third round and then maybe a, an offensive lineman. But they've got needs at a lot of spots. They really do. You know, corner linebacker, who – I'd like to know in the next couple of weeks where Shaq Leonard is <laughs> right. in his progress because if he's back, this defense has got a chance. If, if he's not, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's a big hole to fill. So a lot of questions and, and, you know, a lot of stuff I'll be asking about Chris Ballard on Friday that he'll give us very good non-answers about. But this is always a fascinating time of year. I tease us up earlier because you and I get to have conversations off the air all the time, but on the air, not as much as we used to. And I realize that, uh, you know, we're about, you know, seven, eight months and probably longer than that from the Hall of Fame process ramping up again. Yep. 
Um, I, I guess just your level of disappointment and or surprise that it wasn't Reggie Wayne's time when you guys in that room got together, um, you know, just a, a few months earlier. Not surprised, but disappointed. The problem we're having is that it's Reggie, Andre Johnson, and, and Tory Holt. And I could make a case for all of them. They've all got quality stats and careers. Reggie's numbers are better than all of them because he played longer. You know, I favor Reggie because I watched him. I mean, I, I watched what he did and, and how he dealt with the transition from Peyton to Andrew Luck by going through Curtis Painter and Orlowski and Kerry Collins and still was top level. The, the, the issue we're having is, is how we, these three guys are chewing each other up in the voting process so that no one gets enough votes. You know, ideally, if we could somehow come to an agreement, which we won't because we just won't, you say, okay, this year we're putting in the guy that's waited the longest, that would be Tory Holt. The next year, it's the next guy that's Reggie, and then it's Andre Johnson. That won't happen. But somehow we need to to get this broken. This reminds me a little bit of Marvin, and it still slays me that he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> right. But he had to wait for Andre Reed and Tim Brown because because you wait your turn. So we'll see. And you know, and then we get Freeney's in the room last year. Or I guess it was in you know at the beginning of this year, you know Robert Mathis right. last year I believe it's it's Adam Vinatieri, and I I I, I want to stick around long enough to talk about Adam Vinatieri because <laughs> it should be first ballot right if it's any anybody else who's not a kicker with all the with all the uh, Super Bowls and the points and the you know all that stuff. You say his name and you sit down, but people say, well, he's a kicker. <laughs> well, so it's really interesting. It drives me crazy, but it it, it, it always comes out to a, an interesting process. But boy, I'm running out of material to use for Reggie because it's, he, you know, I keep joking with him. I said, I need another thousand yard season, buddy. And, and we're past that, but he deserves to be in. I think he gets in. I really do. Freeney, I'm not so sure. Mantis, I'm not so sure. Reggie needs to get in because he, he earned it. I was going to ask you, if if I said the next cult to be a Hall of Famer, would it be that shocking if the answer given is Adam Vinatieri? No, it won't, just because I do think I can talk strong enough and his, his resume is strong enough that he's a first ballot guy. I really do. Uh because I, I just don't know how this Reggie Holt and Andre Johnson thing is going to work itself free. I just I don't know. And until until we get one guy in, you know, obviously none of them get in, and we got to figure out how to get one in. And, and if it's Andre Johnson first, I'm going to go crazy because he, he needs to wait his turn. He just does. Uh, you know, I'd be okay with Holt going in and then Reggie, but if they put Andre Johnson in before Reggie or Holt, Something's wrong. Chappie, as always, enjoy the conversation with you, buddy. If I don't see you out at the uh, training facility tomorrow, I'm sure our paths will cross soon. Take care of yourself, bud. Later. Thanks for calling. You, you got it. Mike Chappell, again, of CBS4 and Fox 59.